episodes are the trauma healing learnings based on one mom's journal entries recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the blink of an eye story. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Today, I have a delightful conversation to share with you as I talk with James Raddy, a Jesuit, about birth memories. You may have never heard about birth memories before. Well, I can't wait to introduce you to them as you think about your own life. But first, I want to tell you about a company that strives to help those with spinal cord injuries through regeneration and reconstruction, OrthoFix. They are the creators of a medical device implant that encourages spinal fusion and quality of life. OrthoFix is one of the financial underwriters of the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team for spinal cord injury families. I am thrilled about the Blink of an Eye team that is providing emotional, spiritual, and mental health support, as well as logistical and medical navigation assistance for spinal cord injury families in the first 30 days of crisis as they interact with hospital staff and as they work with their friends and families to begin to recalibrate their lives. For more about the Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team, check out www.blinkofaneye.org. If you know of a spinal cord injured family in the crisis hours and days following injury, please Connect them to blinkofaneye.org. We are so grateful to our donors and volunteers. And if you are personally interested in getting involved with the effort to make a difference in the lives of those facing spinal cord injury trauma, you can be a part of the Blink of an Eye Spiritual Warriors or the Blink of an Eye Hope Lifters. That's right. The Blink of an Eye Family Support and Navigation Team is recruiting Blink of an Eye podcast listeners to be part of their spiritual warriors group who pray for specific spinal cord injured families and for their specific daily needs in the first 30 days of crisis as the Blink of an Eye Navigation Team works to support the families with medical information and emotional support. Blink of an Eye believes in the powerful energy and potential of collective prayer and intentions. But if praying is not so much your thing, they are also recruiting artists and letter writers for their Hope Lifters campaign, who send words of inspiration and encouragement to specific spinal cord injured families in crisis. It's an adopt a spinal cord injury family for 30 days approach. If either of these ministries is calling out to you, go to blinkofaneye.org, which will redirect you to iseethat.org, and fill out the interest form. Or send me an email at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. 
Welcome to Season 3, Trauma Healing Learning 14, Birth Memories with James Ratty, S.J. In this Trauma Healing Learning, we will explore the intriguing concept of birth memories. Yes, that's right. Memories of your entrance from your mother's womb into this bright and likely cold and unfamiliar world outside your mother's womb. And today, we will discuss birth memories not as perhaps told to you from your parents' point of view, whether you were an easy birth or a difficult birth, a wanted birth or an unwanted birth as you may have heard those stories in the past. But today, I invite you to stay curious about your memories of birth. It may be something you've never pondered before or even thought possible before. But I assure you, it is. I have some of this experience myself. More on that later. Birth memories, they can be complicated, and they may need healing themselves. They may also be healing, or fill in missing gaps, or open up the mystery of life that we still don't fully understand. Continue listening for insights on this elusive topic many have never even considered. During this trauma healing learning, I will be speaking with James Ratty, a Jesuit in the Society of Jesus, the same order of priests as Pope Francis. Jim had his own experience in the arena of birth memories and has stayed curious about their healing power for many years now. Others have also come forward and shared their birth memories with Jim some of which have not been positive, but which opened up new pathways for future healing. Today, we learn the distinction between birth memories that can be harmless, more a curiosity and a mystery, and those that are very healing. There are also birth memories that may open up new, previously unexplained trauma that was trapped in cellular memory that now presents an opportunity years later to metabolize and integrate. Perhaps someone in your family has one of those experiences. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't have one at all. But that might change. So settle in, take a deep breath, calm your body, and give your inner child a warm, acknowledging hug that you, the loving adult, is there to protect and comfort that inner child. We are learning so much together. Okay, here we go. 
Trauma Healing Learning 14, Birth Memories with James Raddy. I am blessed to introduce you to James Raddy of the Society of Jesus, to me, Jim Raddy, who is a Jesuit priest in St. Paul, Minnesota. I met Jim many years ago, and we have stayed in contact, and he was part of the Archer journey. Welcome, Jim. Thank you, Louise. Today, I would love to focus on your work in birth memories. Now, some people might not know what birth memories are or might not understand what a Jesuit priest does in the communities in which you work. But I would love to explore both and the relationship of birth memories to trauma healing, because I know you have worked with a number of families in this regard. So where do we begin today, Jim? Would you like to tell us a bit about the work that you do generally as a Jesuit, and then we'll move into birth memories? The major thrust of my involvement with birth memories over many years has been informational, educational, educating people that there are such things as birth memories, particularly new mothers. I was a hospital chaplain for many years. Some friends of mine sent me an article from Mothering Magazine. I believe it was November of 1981 issue called Birth Memories. Four pages of, it was uh, totally anecdotal, but fascinating. And it was from then on that I began to distribute those little articles. I was chaplain to the College of Nursing at Marquette University at that time. And so all those student nurses received copies of that article. And I also, also, the faculty were not familiar with that necessarily either. So I passed on to them and and generally they were quite appreciative of that. I remember one one individual really got upset with the thought of it. Now, we never talked about that. I don't know why, what happened. So ever since that time, even now, this is... uh, 20 years later, no, 40 years later, that's something that I keep informing parents about. I have a, a friend who's going to be have her first child next month. She doesn't need it right now, but she's got other things on her mind. But sooner or later, I give it to people, and they share it to other people. And I've had some astounding calls from moms after they read this article, and then they try it with their children, usually at about age three. I suggest that it says the age time to do it. That's what's suggested in this article. And they're almost speechless with what they've heard their child say. That's an age at which children, many children will feel free and are able to articulate what they remember and their feelings. Would you like an example? I would love an example, and I'm also going to share with you, I don't know if you'll remember, but when you and I first met, we were at a conference, and we were on a bus together, traveling 
and you shared with me your education about birth memories, and I was either pregnant, most people thought I was pregnant for like, you know, 20 years because of five children and, you know, two or three years between them and then always nursing and so forth, but you shared that with me, and at the time, my little daughter Paula, I believe, was four, and Uh I was pregnant or had actually just given birth to Mm -hmm. my son Pete, and I remembered, as I would imagine many of the mothers, even when they're pregnant, whom you share this information with, I stored it away so that when Petey was three, I too tried it for my first time. But I'd love to hear your stories and possibly before a story, if you could define for our listeners who don't know, because many people don't, what are birth memories? Well, I just take those two words at their face value. We're born and sometimes an individual may have a memory of being born. I've never had a definition. I've just had people's experiences that they share that they call birth memories. And that's really what they are. Is that what was referenced in that article that you first read that sort of took your breath away in that mother magazine? I've only heard the term used. I find it rather self-explanatory. Do you remember being born? Remember what it was like? <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I suppose most people would go like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, yes. And people I'm, are, I'm 40 uh, years old or I'm 60 years old. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've had a couple people who are academicians in the scientific area who poo the whole idea just immediately that it's just not... It's not possible. Yeah, it's not possible. The brain's not developed enough. You know, whatever, whatever the intellectual reason is. You're not supposed to remember anything painful at that time, like especially like a circumcision or anything like that. You know, other traumatic uh, things that happen to the yeah. body and then to the to the psyche. Yes, that's the best I can do is to say my understanding of. Birth memories is just that people do have memories of what was going on before birth and during birth. Yeah, that and as you said, birth memories really speak for themselves. I know I've referenced them as even a birth story. You know, in the trauma world, something that we know, all of us as humans, it's inescapable that we live a life with some trauma. And one of the first traumas for every child is being separated, trauma being defined as a separation, an experience of separation. And that child being separated from the umbilical cord in the womb, why it's so important to place a baby on the mother's breast just immediately and and for as long as possible. And so that's a very interesting sort of melange as we think about birth memories. And what I recalled is that you had worked in South America and had been working with villages of women where birthing was a very difficult experience. They didn't have all of the medical equipment and personnel that we might have and that we do have in 
much more developed and very developed towns and cities, and in particular in the United States. And it was really your work had been using this, what you had read about so long ago, but using this and introducing this to women there so that there might be some trauma healing. And so I know you have a number of stories, but let's begin so that our listeners might understand what it really means for a mother to work with her child around age three to elicit a birth memory. Okay, I, I've never been present when somebody's done that, when a mom has done that with a child. And what's recommended is that you be with the child in a very safe surrounding and quiet, maybe bathing or something like that, and bring up the subject. There's an age, it's mentioned age around age three, where a child is more likely to speak about this. And so that's a factor to consider, because those memories tend to fade with age and are not really, as far as I know, retrievable without some kind of hypnotherapy. It's a possible way of retrieving those for an individual. And in particular, I suppose, if there has been medical trauma with the birthing experience as well, that some um, hypnotherapy or regression therapy yeah, might be, be very useful. For an adult, as an adult. As you an want adult, to get yes. And there's a doctor who once spoke about it saying that 95% of births are traumatic. So we're talking about trauma right there just in the birth process. Yes. I think you were alluding to that yes. earlier. This notion of safety, I remember you schooled me very well, and I was a good student because I listened very attentively. I hung on every word you had told me as we sat together about birth memories and the creation of the safe space. I remember you, it's very understandable that you would not have been side by side with any of the women because it's a very, very tender, safe time between a mother and her young child. Oftentimes, as you said, could be after a bath in the evening. For me, it was after a bath and then reading a book and just about to turn off the lights to say goodnight, you know, very settled and asking the question. And I, I suppose some listeners might be saying, what is the question? And mm-hmm. I know what I pose, but I'm, I'm curious what you would instruct women to pose. You did instruct me. Maybe I said the right thing. Uh, maybe it wasn't exactly what you had suggested or would suggest, but I would love to compare notes on that because I, I just simply asked, do you remember coming mm-hmm. out of mommy's body when you were mm-hmm. born? Mm-hmm. I had it out this article on birth memories to a friend of mine who's a nurse. Her name was Karen. She and her husband had five children, among whom were twins, age three. And so Karen read the article in the evening, and next morning she pulled PJ out of bed, one of the twins, and she said her question was, PJ, do you remember what it was like before you were born? 
He said, oh, yeah, he said, swimming around. He said, I didn't like all those strings, though. I suppose the umbilical cords. And then she asked him, do you remember what it was like being born? He said, yeah, it hurt. And so that was convincing to her that he indeed did remember those things. It's fascinating. My son, Petey, when I asked him the first time, he just looked at me and I remember you telling me that it needs to be just the right time. And if it's not the right time, you'll know because your child won't respond but it's okay, he said, ask again. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Yes. And I did. I, I waited mm. for another time. I don't remember if it was a day or two later, but it was very close proximity. And I asked again, I, you know, Petey, do you remember being born coming out of mommy's body? Mm-hmm. And he responded and he said, oh, mama. It was a so loud, so loud, Mama. Pop, so loud, pop, pop. And oh. it's so bright. My eyes mm-hmm. hurt, Mama. He, oh. he broke his clavicle because I was pushing too hard. Oh, my. And so that little head and that little shoulder, you know, that yeah. snap, that pop. Yeah. That's what he remembered. And then being whisked away, you know, under the the lights for the APGAR and knowing his, because they were all, all the medical team, not all, but the two of them Mm -hmm. were so paying attention to me because they thought I had cracked my coccyx. Oh, but it was the baby who had broken his clavicle. And nobody realized that yeah. for probably five minutes. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. It's just amazing, birth stories. Mm-hmm. When I'd hear about them, the mom was still incredulous. Yes. I'm shocked. Yes. And you know what's so amazing about with our son Pete? I remember the medical staff, when they told me I was fine, it was the baby, mm-hmm. and I just wept. Oh. And all I wanted to do was hold him, but they were still, so, so he mm-hmm. hadn't been on my chest yet. And I wanted him, I, I was worried, you know, my baby, and he's, something's harmed, something's happened to him. And they were mm-hmm. saying, you know, Mrs. Semt, Mrs. Semt, your child is fine. He will not remember this. Your child is fine. It doesn't hurt him. What's happened to him doesn't hurt him. Yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 He'll mend. He'll, he'll, be, he'll be mended in 24 hours. <laughs> Wishful thinking was the rule in those days. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it still is some places. I don't know. Well, we do have miraculous ways of the body healing, but Mm -hmm. it's the, it's going back, you know, to Mm -hmm. just 
acknowledge and make sense and then integrate those trauma memories or where it might still rest in the body to yes. co-regulate again through our central nervous system. Yes. It's body memories. Body memories. Tell us more, Jim, about your work in this area or other stories and women you have educated or working with the nurses at Marquette or other places where you have ministered to people. Well, as I mentioned, I was kind of like the bringer of news to people. (laughs) And it's a way of educating, bring up a brand new topic. And Mm -hmm. this this position I was in, that was possible. In my experience of dealing with it, I have my own birth memories. It's amazing because like 30 seconds ago, I said to myself, I want to ask Jim if he has his own birth memory. And you just said that. It's synchronicity. It's so beautiful. I'm doing it, but nobody ever asked me. When I was born, I found this out later, I was a breach delivery. Mm. And I never thought much about that. But with time, uh, when I'd play football or something, I'd be, on a, I'd be on the bottom of the pile of kids. It was very scary. Like and, panicky? Uh, yes. Mm-hmm. And I had this fear of suffocating. And as I learned more about the birth process and being a breech delivery person, they had to use forceps. A chiropractor I only saw once was feeling my head said, oh, your head is, tw- your skull is twisted. I didn't ask what does it mean or show me where. Or is it twisted? But forceps were used. And I do know that if you're a breach delivery and the shoulders are the largest part of the body, after that, cervix can contract. And that's going around the throat, and that can provide, I think, a suffocating experience. Right, because you're coming out feet first. Yes. And being being pulled. And then the cervix being contracting around your yeah, neck. Around my neck. Mm-hmm. So I attribute that experience to my later years' fear of being suffocated. That's the way I speak about my birth experience. What did it mean to you to put that together? that you're being on the bottom pile in football, having this panicky feeling of suffocating, and then tying it back to your own birth experience of your coming down the canal, but being pulled out into the world feet first because of being breached or sideways, however that went, um, and, and having the cervix contract around your neck. When you learned that, what did that mean to you? Well, it explained something to me. I said, ah, that, that's why. Uh-huh. That's why I'm so afraid of suffocating. So it was a, a welcome piece of information and, and helped me understand myself better. Uh, yeah. Yes, these little God winks, just, oh my gosh, that explains yeah. something that had been such a mystery. Yes. Yeah. Did, did it take you on any further path? 
for healing that, that knowledge, or was that knowledge enough, or what happened to your panicky feelings? That's something that has been chronic, but it was periodic, you know, earlier in life. It's not something that I ever felt a need to be healed from. So it was more about an awareness, awareness that I'm grateful for. I suppose I, you know, I'm just opining about this, but possibly the times of feeling that panic may have lessened or dissipated or not been as many because of this new awareness that you had. It's not a concern to me. I wouldn't be surprised that if I were to be in a situation where I was being constricted and perhaps choked or something, that experience would still be in me someplace. Yeah, it would still be in your body, not in your body. Mm -hmm. It's really very instructive, I think, that as we understand more about trauma, we know that that trauma is healed through the body when it, it has been trapped. But there are many traumas, experiences that we have that manifest physically. And with some awareness for many, many traumas, the awareness itself Mm -hmm. can be enough. It's when it's not enough when the physical experience continues to haunt us. Like if you had had those panicky, suffocating experiences more often, you know, then there would have been more work to do. But it's something that's just so amazing about our bodies and how we're built that that awareness alone, not only a portal for trauma healing, for a number of traumas, it can be enough. Of course, for so many others, there's more. terms of working with people about it I really have my experience is pretty limited other than educating people a bit about birth memories and then listening to people in their experiences for instance uh, one person I know she was conceived in a violent manner through rape and that was something that she needed to deal with in her life. I don't have details about that. I just remember her saying, Anna was her mother and father. That's on the other end of the birth continuum, but that's significant. And she was a super sensitive person. She could pick up on things. She was aware of people who had been abused. She could pick that up in persons. She had a heightened sensitivity for that type of empathy. Also to microwave energy emanations. She could pick that up. She was within a certain distance of a microwave oven operation. So energetically. And what was it that she shared with you about birth memories? It was more the fact of it that it happened. And I don't recall her sharing any stories about it, 
of anything about the healing process that she might have gone through regarding that. She wasn't sharing it with me other than to inform me. I put it this way. It wasn't a ministry situation where somebody was coming to talk about something to go to somebody about a problem you're having. Yeah, people come to priests as counselors and they come oh, to yeah. priests for confession. They come to priests for forgiveness. You being the extension of, you know, the divine. They come to priests for many reasons. This was more of a, in terms of a relationship, an ongoing relationship, sharing some personal information, which we do as we grow in friendship with somebody. Yes, as yeah. friends share with each other. And in terms of the actual healing of those traumas and so forth, that area, I have not been in a situation to be involved with people about that. Who knows what they're dealing with among birth memories or among trauma? trauma. I just spent seven years working with a young woman who was on the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis when it fell in the Mississippi River. Mm. When was that? It was, oh, how many years ago? I wish I remembered the year that it happened. Been a I while. was in town when it happened, and she was suddenly in the bottom of the river with a broken back. And when she came out, somehow she didn't know how she'd get out. She got out, and in her recovery period, she took up painting, saw the help that that was to her in dealing with the trauma, the hurt, and she'd worked with kids before, and so she opened a storefront drop-in center for kids to come and do art, and she invited me to work with her in doing restorative justice circle processes with the kids and the other adults that were involved. So I. That's how you and I met doing restorative justice circle processes. Yes, that was in Phoenix. Mm -hmm, It was in Phoenix. And so she did that work with her storefront and children. Yes, her intuition. She was operating under intuition, very informed intuition that getting kids involved in art will somehow, some way, sometime, help in their own healing process as they learn to express themselves and have that opportunity. It certainly has been a pathway for Archer. That's wonderful. It is. It's beautiful. Doing everything just with his neck and shoulders. Mm -hmm. Speaking of shoulders... Earlier, you had begun to share with us something about your brother. Oh, yes. He claims this about his birth memories. He says, I can remember when our dad was not speaking to our mother. And I never pursued that with him, other than kind of an informational thing. I certainly wasn't aware. I was, he's only two years younger. And I would have been in the environment when that was going on. But he was sensitive to it in the womb Mm. and remembers that. 
his birth memory would have been one where the question posed, do you remember what it was mm -hmm. like before you were born? Yes. And he did have that memory. And that question was posed to him as an adult? I asked him. I brought it up. I, I think it was that birth memories article that prompted me to ask him. I was handing out a lot of them, 82 to 85, and at Marquette University and the College of Nursing. And then with other people. And I, I still have a little stack of them ready to go to share with people as I meet them. When you shared the article with the nurses, were there any other nursing stories or feedback that you got that you would be willing to share? With the exception of my friend, Karen, who was a nurse, mm -hmm. and she also shortly after became a faculty member at Barcade U. Her story, all I remember is people's responses, wonderment the faculty person who seemed threatened by it. A couple of scientists who, when I even brought up the idea, poo-pooed it. You can't prove this empirically. It's a matter of the heart. With matters of the heart and that kind of intimate experience, Empiricism is not appropriate, not useful. Well, empiricism, as it comes to matters of the heart, oftentimes won't ever be received anyway. <laughs> the heart is much yeah. stronger. Yeah. The heart oh, is yeah. much more intelligent. Our brains... Um, can shut down and we can be what society would call a vegetable. But when our hearts shut down, we're no longer living. And that, you know, that does name another topic, which is heart memories. Yes. There's a group in California that's been working on that for years, and I don't remember the name of it, but I attended a couple-day workshop where this was discussed, that the heart does have memories for instance, person's heart being given away to somebody else. I think somebody who was shot in the back or something. With a heart transplant. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the person that got the transplant got the memory of that person being shot. Yeah. Yes, the heart is not just an organ. And mm -hmm. heart transplants are quite significant. It's been researched, and certainly even in small ways, that someone's favorite color, you know, their preferences for food can just change yeah. dramatically. Their personality yeah. can mm -hmm. undergo changes. But just what they are inclined towards or recoiling from mm -hmm. can change very dramatically with a heart transplant taking on, uh, as the research has shown, what the person who was the organ donor had lived with in their lifetime.
I suppose if we really want to extrapolate into intergenerational trauma oh, yeah. and collective trauma, but yes. what's been handed down through the centuries in a family line, bloodline, it's yeah. quite extraordinary to think about what our hearts carry mm. in terms of memory. I've noted that a number of times with people who were in Europe, Europeans, during perhaps children in World War II, in any case, people who've come out of uh, wars, violent situations, something happens in the kids that they then pass on. Yes. How that happens, I don't know. But there's yeah. a handing on of intergenerational thing, just like I'm thinking of shaming you know, which is not unusual, unfortunately. Some families, that that's what one learns and sees as normal. And so I know teaching high school students, I come into that time of life already having been shamed. And I would do that, pass it on. Yes. Because I didn't realize what I was doing. Then at a certain point, I, I learned about it. And I realized that really the hurt, the hurt that is involved in that. And even educators, educators since the 10th century, there's an appendix in a book where you can read about it. Because I know the author, Walter Ong, a Jesuit, O-N-G, Walter Ong, mm -hmm. Fame for Life is his little book. And he talks about the relationships between male and female, all the various in insects and animal species in his appendix about education and something, I think he called it agonistic learning, where uh, back in the 10th, 11th centuries in Europe, boys who got the education had to learn Latin. And it got to be such that shaming was seen as an educational tool mm -hmm. in law, in medicine, in theology, in philosophy and as a way of motivating students mm -hmm. by shaming them in front of the rest. Mm -hmm. They would work harder so as to avoid. And that persisted right up through the 60s. And I had it in college, a couple of professors. I did too uh, in law school. We were warned when you enter law school, the pedagogical hot seat that you couldn't yeah. escape it. And the idea was for the professor just to rigorously flog you for what you, no matter how well you had and how long you had stayed up reading the article and highlighting and doing notes and, and yeah. knowing the case backwards and forwards, you were never going to get it right because it was instructive for the whole class with regard to what would be learned as it was seen, but it was so grueling, there were some students who would absolutely stop going to class. And that was well, well before anything we ever had with computers, let alone online learning. Mm -hmm. And it, that, that does still happen in the classroom and the law, as you mentioned, as being one of the professions that that has carried over. You know, it's, it's interesting as we think about 
trauma, that unto itself, for instance, for a law student. And then, as you mentioned, with shaming, how it is therefore then carried on as seen, perhaps being perceived and understood as a power weapon, you know, a, a way to get one's way, a way to have dominance, a way to navigate in a competitive world. With a background in domestic violence and starting domestic violence hotlines, one of the first in the county where I went to law school, having worked in women's studies at the University of Virginia undergrad, the notion of shaming, the notion of power, power currencies, it's so intimately tied into trauma and the dysregulation of the central nervous system. So when we think about any of us, how do we work with others or heal others, we must be healing ourselves and on that pathway. Any therapist is not able to help her or his patient or client if he or she is dysregulated or feeling unsafe. And it's when we feel unsafe that we resort to those power currencies and oftentimes unconsciously because they've been demonstrated, as was your own personal history that you've shared with us. And then then we know through epigenetics that that Mm -hmm. is carried down through the family structure into the next generation. It can be broken is the beautiful, hopeful, healing aspects um, as we learn and are educated more about trauma and trauma healing and have and develop some awareness, as you mentioned, and then work with how it is that we co-regulate our nervous systems again. Because mm-hmm. that's what we're all struggling with, right? We go offline when we fly off the handle, we get upset, we say something we wish we didn't, we get angry a little too much so for the situation. Or taking it back to even the nurse whom you had given the articles to and how she then shared it. And there were scientists or others who did not receive it well and mm-hmm. you know, sort of shunned her for it. Well that's just a that's just their that's just a triggering of their own unhealed trauma. Ignorance and fear. Ignorance and fear. And once we begin to understand that, it doesn't mean that we change the other person, but it does mean that we can work on ourselves. And when we are more settled with greater understanding and method for regulating, we're then able to heal others and work with others and actually able to be resilient through the maze of unhealed trauma as it is manifested in public policy, uh, you know, in ways that groups gather and harm each other and in media that, you know, flogs and and gives harmful, hurtful messages. 
we can become more self-regulated and more resilient. And then, you know, from another scientific standpoint, graft onto that mirror neurons, you know, the more, the more settled and healed I am with you or someone else who is very unsettled and very triggered, the more settled or conscious they may become. It's a higher likelihood. And that's, that's very powerful for all of us. Richard Rohr says, whatever you don't resolve, you pass on. That's what I love about your birth memories, because whether someone has been fighting for their life, wondering, you know, mysteriously why they have this grip of panic. You know, I still have one that I haven't unlocked with, and I'm thinking about actually doing some regression therapy, but around glass, if anybody harms himself with cut glass in any way. My whole body goes on fire, and it wasn't part of my birthing experience. So I know somewhere, possibly Mm -hmm. before, there might be something Mm -hmm. there. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just this constant curiosity, I think, and birth memories can be so significant. Even if we're Mm -hmm. not able to recall at age 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, what it is like, just the idea that there was a memory, an implicit memory, that then can become a little bit more explicit around age three before a greater sense of vocabulary and telling stories has set in to the human development path, that a very kind of pure three-year-old view of their life might emerge if we have the opportunity in a safe space just to ask. that it can bring to so many mothers and fathers mm-hmm. too, you know, to yes. parents, parents yeah. with their children. And I'm thinking parents with their adopted babies and foster babies. I'm wondering with your experience in sharing this information with so many women, and the stories you are familiar with on a very one-to-one personal level, if there is any discovery that you or insight that you have about the importance of birth memory that we haven't yet discussed. I just think it's helpful to get the word out that there is such a thing. And to let that become something that's safe for people to talk about, that doesn't get thrown into mental illness categories, which we still are uncomfortable with speaking about and so forth. And uh, education Mm. is my focus with this particular issue. Do you view the educational piece about birth memories as related to your work as a Jesuit priest? Oh, sure. In yeah, what ways? I, I've been involved in education all the time. I even consider this, sharing this article, that's education. 
I have a little button that I don't have at hand that says no more whys. I think you may have seen that button. I have. No more whys. Ask what happened. That's an educational tool. We, we know that through our restorative justice work. Yes. Yes. Everybody yeah. wants yeah. to know the who done it and why. I have that in eight languages now. It's so great. Right. Yeah. No more whys. We need to ask, you know, what happened? Mm-hmm. And everybody has their own slice of what happened. But, you know, all those slices put together then begin to make a whole. In closing, that birth memory of a three-year-old shared with his mother or her mother might begin to complete another picture, helping that mother be more whole. Yes. Yes. I suspect the individual that I encountered who was threatened by the idea might have had some experience in her own life where she was careless or something during pregnancy. Who knows? Something happened and just too frightening for her to consider it, think about it. I don't know. Or an abortion. Oh, yes. I suppose that could be too. Yes. Now, I know that stays with people. Yes, it does. I've had Uh, many a divorce mediation where the abortion of a woman, not even of that marriage, but in her earlier life, haunted mm -hmm. them and Mm -hmm. then was part of the groundwork Mm -hmm. for the divorce that was unfolding. Yeah, I remember someone sharing about her abortion 50 years ago, still in her mind. Yes, 50 years ago is a long time on the discussion and topic of abortion. It's a long time ago. That's an aspect that I don't think gets much discussion, much play. I know there's research done, follow-up with people, for instance, on abortion and other things. what it it means to them personally, and so forth. I think there's a lot of work, uh, a lot of spade work to be done in the field of trauma healing in so many areas, and abortion being one, with the decision that was made to abort and for some moving on and some very utilitarian and some highly transactional and And even in those situations, the trauma to a woman, having to make that decision for a woman, for her body, and of course, for others who view that life as having been taken, just living with all of those factors. And we might not have a safe enough environment in our own very modern, very developed society as we are in the United States to have those discussions yet. But a new day is dawning with regard to trauma and trauma healing and all of its applications for all of us to create safe environments where judgment is suspended while we work on self-regulation so we can then co-regulate with others.
and live again, whole, mm-hmm. or the experience yep. of being whole. I, you know, my, my view is we're never not whole. We just mm-hmm. feel broken. And I hope many, many mothers and fathers and grandparents and sisters and brothers and friends uh, Mm -hmm. might take heed of birth memories. Isn't that incredible? Birth memories are something we all have waiting to be discovered or healed. This episode was to merrily introduce you to the subject. If you're interested in further exploration of this topic, write to me at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. If this episode has triggered or opened up anything for you, if you're able, talk to someone about your experience or your wonderings sharing what is not often spoken about or thought of with another trusted person can be healing in and of itself we all have the capacity for special connection in this shared experience of being born into this world we all entered this world albeit in different ways under different circumstances and from different relationships but from our mother's wombs. Let's feel that connection and help each other in whatever shared experiences we can. Being born, being birthed, working hard through the birth canal to enter the world outside the womb, or being pulled or lifted out of the womb surgically, we have all arrived with a birth story a birth experience that we may recall it's there in our cellular memory you may reach out to me at louise at blink of an with your memory i'm here for you ask me anything i don't want any of you to miss the upcoming Science of Trauma Conference, November the 3rd, 2022. For more information and to register for this not-to-be-missed evening with two renowned brain researchers, Dr. Babak Katab on brain mapping, trauma in the brain and body, and Dr. Dan Siegel on the interpersonal neurobiology for trauma healing for a first-time collaboration. Go now to events.icthat.org. Continuing education credits and continuing medical education credits are available in partnership with MER, Medical Education Resources. And full-time students are free. That's events.icthat.org or blinkofaneye.org Life can change in the blink of an eye.
Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 14, How Disability Shifts Perspective. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue. You can learn more at baltimoremediation.com. Blink of an Eye podcast is sponsored by the Blink of an Eye nonprofit, a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. Blink of an Eye provides a national team of SCI-specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. Blink of an Eye also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. Blink of an Eye will host the inaugural conference, The Science of Trauma, Hope for Trauma Healing, November 3rd, 2022. To donate and find out more, visit www.blinkofaneye.org or events.icthat.org. That's events.i, the letter C, T-H-A-T, dot org.